You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at livethemessage.org. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Proverbs chapter 4. We're going to continue our series this morning, Hungry for Wisdom. I hope you came hungry this morning, a little bit of an appetite for some wisdom. Not just because it's only almost noon, but hungry for wisdom. Um, Every week we've been pointing you to a promise in God's word that accompanies this pursuit of wisdom. God is so generous to, to meet us, to meet us in the middle. And as we turn our hearts towards him, as we humble ourselves to seek him, uh, he meets us there. And he gives us these abundant promises um, in his word. And every week we've been pointing you to one of these promises. Here's another promise, Proverbs chapter 4. Verse 20, it says, My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. That's a promise that what you encounter when you turn your hearts to seek the Lord for wisdom is what you find there is life and you find healing for your flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance. For from it flows the springs of life. That's unlocked in the place of wisdom. When you encounter the personification of wisdom in Jesus, these springs of life are unlocked in you. It says, put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all of your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. I want a surety in my step, right? I want a firm foundation. That's a promise here in scripture as we hunger for wisdom. He'll give you life. He'll give you healing to your flesh. He'll unlock these springs of life. He'll give you a sure foundation for your footing. So I hope you're hungry this morning. This morning, specifically, we're gonna talk about wisdom for money. That's right, we're gonna talk about money in the, the place when hush. So we're gonna talk about money. We're gonna go for it, folks, Okay. Every, every, every year I talk about money a couple times. And the reason I feel like I have a responsibility to talk to our church family about money is because scripture has a lot to say about money. And the book of Proverbs talks about money a lot. So we're gonna talk about that this morning. Obviously Jesus talks a lot about money or uses money as an analogy a lot. Also the apostle Paul talked a lot about money. So the church doesn't need your money. We don't talk about money because we want your money. Um, God wants your heart. And money is so often tied to the matters of our heart. And so the the book of Proverbs talks a lot about this theme of money. So let's talk about it, church. Um, None of us in this place are exempt from the necessity of handling money. So this is a message that's relevant to every single person in this place. What you do with it is up to you, but it's relevant to every single person in this place. No matter how young or how old, every person in this place has to deal with the reality of the receiving and the expending of money on this planet. It's just part of our society, and I think that's why scripture has a lot to say about it. But in our current day, in our current crisis, we find ourselves in the midst of a recession. As of June of 2020, it was officially announced that the U.S. had fallen into a recession, just according to the, the economic metrics um, that they follow. So it's obviously a different recession than the 0809 recession and that it was induced by our own, um, our own lockdowns, our own self-imposed uh, precautions. But still, it's a recession nonetheless. And so all the more as kingdom people, as followers of Jesus, attuned to what's happening in the world around us, we need to be people that seek for God's wisdom. We seek God for his wisdom on how to handle our finances in a wise way. 
I think one reason we oftentimes get a little um, awkward or uh, we don't like to talk about money is because many of us, I'd say most people, they carry a certain amount of shame around when it comes to the handling of their finances. They know they've done things wrong in their past. And I'm the first to say that I have done things that are stupid in regards to money. In this place, there's no condemnation. I don't want you to have any shame. I want you to humble yourself, bring yourself to God's word and see that there's a different way, that there is a way of redemption, that, that there can be a way of wisdom. If you remember two weeks ago, I talked about the misconception uh, oftentimes people read into the book of Proverbs that they, they see the book of Proverbs as talking about two grand camps of people, either the wise or the foolish. The wise are always wise. They just always do everything right. The foolish always do everything stupid. They're always being foolish. That's not really the way it's written. It's more talking about the way of the wise and the way of the foolish. And so if you've chosen ways of the foolish, of which I have in the past, here's an opportunity in a fresh way as we look into God's word for us to begin to choose the way of the wise more and more and more. And as a follower of Jesus, all the more we should be submitting ourselves to his word and saying, God, what do you have to say about this necessity of my life Monday through Sunday? It's money. I mean, money has, has to do with our, our daily tasks, the daily comings and goings. Money is there. So what does God's word have to say about, I pray that you and I, as we follow Jesus, we will choose the way of the wise more and more often. And, and the, the way of the, the foolish way, the way of the wicked, the, the, the stupid things that we do with our money would be uh, less and less uh, a part of our story, a part of, of, of who we are. So like I've said, I, I haven't always gotten things right in my money, in the way I handle money. I, was, I, just, I felt like a slow learner a little bit. I remember in college, um, picking up a credit card and, and beginning to use that. And before you know it, uh, you know, racking up a balance that I didn't know how I was going to pay. And so I graduated from college with credit card debt. And so me and my wife, we entered, um, we entered the marketplace fresh out of undergraduate with credit card debt and student loans. And that is, it's all too common. Um, but instead of being super motivated in our hearts to get rid of it, we, the first year of our married life out in Seattle, we kind of squandered. And we, we experienced so much of the Northwest and adventured around. But at the end of our first year out there, we had very little to show for it in terms of um, stewarding our finances in a, in a better way, in a wise way. We were choosing the way, the foolish way. I'll be honest to say that. I'm trying to dismantle the shame that you carry. I'm trying to dismantle that awkwardness that we carry in conversations about money. God uh, has a hope-filled way of redemption for all of us to begin to choose the way of wisdom. But God began to get a hold of my heart and show me that he had a purpose for my life as he does for you. He has a purpose for your life, a calling upon your life. And so that means we, we need to steward what he's given us. And he's given us so much. And that began to get into my heart and something was sparked. And I came across a book called The Total Money Makeover by Dave Ramsey. Maybe you've heard of Dave Ramsey, you've read some of his stuff. Well, I got a hold of that book, Total Money Makeover. And, and something was unlocked in my heart for this um, the necessity to be better at handling my finances. And so in a matter of 16 months, we took care of all of our debt and we were debt-free. We didn't do the debt-free scream, but we, we were super stoked um, to, to have that burden lifted from us, for us not to be enslaved by student loan debt and credit card debt. And, uh, and so that's possible for us. And every single year, we're, as we, different things come our way, we're trying to choose the way of wisdom more and more often and say no to the way of the foolish. So this is the, um, the claim I want to make to you this morning, that it is possible to live a recession-proof life. 
It is possible to live a recession-proof life. You do not have to be prone or victim to the whims of the economic roller coasters of the world around us. You don't. There can be a different way, and it's the way of wisdom. It's, it's a life built on a firm foundation that's not thrown to and fro by whatever crises arise around us. There's a better way. It's a recession-proof life, and we're gonna unpack that this morning. Turn, turn a few chapters to the right in Proverbs chapter 10. Let's read, there's two prominent passages that we're gonna look at that unpack Proverbs on, or wisdom on money that I want us to primarily look at this morning. It says Proverbs chapter 10, verse one, the Proverbs of Solomon. A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. Treasures gained by wickedness do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. So money cannot deliver you from death. Riches come and go. It's right standing with God that delivers us from death. That one thing and that one thing alone. Verse three, it says, the Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but he thwarts the craving of the wicked. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. Now turn to Proverbs 22. So a few chapters to the right, Proverbs 22, King Solomon continues, and he says, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. So again, there's something more important than wealth and net worth and riches, material things. There's a depth of character and what he refers to as righteousness or right standing with God. And favor is better than silver or gold. The rich and the poor, they meet together and the Lord is the maker of them all. The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Thorns and snares are in the way of the crooked. Whoever guards his soul will keep far from them. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the slave of the lender. Whoever sows injustice will reap calamity, and the rod of his fury will fail. Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed. So there's so much in these two passages that I want us to unpack, and I'm gonna to try to summarize them in five principles that are reoccurring in these two passages that can set us up to live a recession-proof life, which I know we got some doubters in the house, and maybe some are saying, Drew, there's no way to live a recession-proof life. What are you talking about? Well, I will show you that it is possible to not be... Um, held victim to all the unknowns and uncertainties of the world around us. And we start with what matters most, which storing up treasures in heaven, first seeking right standing with God. And so the first principle deals with that, that principle that, that Solomon unpacked in Proverbs chapter 10, and it's seek first the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God is the very first principle to live a recession-proof life. And there's, if there's nothing if there's nothing more that you remember from, uh, from our conversation this morning, it's this, that you'd seek first the kingdom of God. And that, that phrase specifically comes from Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, where Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. And all these things, and when he says all these things, he's talking about material things. He's talking about clothing, worrying about clothing, worrying, worrying about shelter over your head, worrying about money, worrying about food on the table. All these other things will be added unto you and we seek first the kingdom of God. So this is, this, is, this is the principle of first things first. 
We can't get on to managing budgets and saving money and saying no to debt until we deal with this central heart issue, the central gospel issue, which is seeking first the kingdom of God, setting on the throne of your heart the only one who's worthy of that position, and it's King Jesus. Because here's the reality, the most One of the most common pursuits or alluring pursuits amongst humanity is this pursuit of money, of riches, of wealth. But we realize on that pursuit, on that journey, if you've been alive for a little while, you begin to feed that, that hunger for money, and it's never satisfied. There's always something more, or the things break, they fall apart, or the new edition comes out. Or you look at your neighbor, and they have something better and bigger and sweeter. They have a better vacation. There's always something more, and you quickly realize it's never satisfying. But then you have this encounter with King Jesus. You know, Jesus described himself as the pearl of great price. He said the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant who's seeking for fine jewels. And he comes across this one-of-a-kind pearl. And so he sells everything to purchase that one pearl of great price. That is Jesus. You realize that nothing else on the planet compares in value to King Jesus. So you begin to seek him with all of your heart. He becomes your, your soul affection, your soul desire the one thing that satisfies you in your life. He then goes on to describe himself as a, as a treasure found in a field. And when this, this man comes across this treasure hidden in a field, he sells all that he has, everything else in this world he sells to go and buy that field so he can have that, that treasure hidden in the field. That's Jesus. And I pray that you've come to that place where you encounter Jesus, the pearl of great price, or the, or the treasure hidden in a field. He is your greatest heart's desire. He's the one thing that your heart longs for. So in our pursuit of wanting to handle our money rightly, we have to first get first things first and quickly acknowledge the central truth that only Jesus satisfies. There'll never be enough money to satisfy, enough things that you can accumulate that will ever satisfy that place in your heart. We have to get the right perspective on money first before I mean, we have to first get a, a right perspective on God before we can get a right perspective on money. I remember a conversation I had with a, a dear mentor in my, my life who's gone to be with the Lord, but Dr. Otto Helwig was the dean of engineering at the university I attended as an undergrad. And I got to go and work with him in Rwanda after he retired and, and live with him and his wife. And I remember a conversation we were having in the, uh, in the car one day as he was talking about money. He had just so many nuggets I was trying to grab a hold of as a young 22-year-old punk. Um, but I remember in the car... He pointed out to me the, 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 the common misquote of 1 Timothy chapter 6 that says, most people quote it as, money is the root of all evil. But he said, Drew, you know, Paul didn't actually tell Timothy that money is the root of all evil. It's the love of money is the root of all, all evil. And why is that? It's because nothing can truly satisfy that love position of our heart, that, that love, that, that desire that we have to be satisfied with these things. Nothing else can satisfy other than Jesus. And so... In this life, as we pursue these other things, we'll realize that all this pain is added to our life when we, we pursue, uh, pursue those, those desires through, through the love of money, the love of things, material possessions. So I plead with you this morning to seek first Jesus before anything, anything else. Surrender your life to him. Like Posture your heart in that place on a daily basis, Monday through Sunday, that you're gonna seek first the kingdom of God. His glory, his purposes, he's the only answer. Is that settled? <laughs> okay, awesome. So if nothing else, I, I pray that you, you remember that this morning. We're going to seek first the kingdom of God. All these other things will be added unto us. So let's get into the other things, which is uh, two, is practice the Joseph principle. 
The Joseph principle very simply is saving money. I know it's, it's a crazy thought, but we need to be a people that learn to save money. And this Joseph principle is, is a nugget of millennia old wisdom found in Genesis chapter 41, where God uses Joseph in the, in the kingdom of Egypt to spare Egypt from ensuing famine. And he uses it through this uh, amazing, like innovative concept called saving money, saving things. And so God spoke to, to Pharaoh through a dream. Joseph interpreted the dream. There were gonna be seven years of surplus, seven years of famine. And so they, they set aside. It's the idea of setting aside for, for future crisis, future emergencies, future uncertainty. We just read this proverb, chapter 10, verse four through five. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. So we shouldn't take for granted our seasons of plenty, our seasons of surplus. And so if you have an income, if you have a job, if you have um, money coming in, for us, that's a season of harvest. That's, that's a summer season when we need to be setting aside some, some reserves for emergencies, for uncertainties of the future. There's wisdom in saving. Do you know in 2019, 69% of Americans had less than $1,000 in savings? You know, we're currently in a recession, as I declared, so we're in a season where we need to save all the more. And the reality is most Americans don't have it. So I would say, what do we do here in Ames, Iowa? We owe much of the uh, economic contractions haven't really hit us as hard as other parts of the nation. According to you know, the stats, as of June, Iowa's unemployment was at 8% compared to the national average of 11. Other states are 14, 15, 16% unemployment. You know, Iowa's been hit a lot, hard a lot, lot less than other parts of the nation. Ames, all even more so, we're at 6.1% unemployment here in Ames. But when we see a contraction happening in our nation, we see crisis arising. There should be this urgency that rises in our hearts to take inventory of what we have. And do we have enough in emergency savings? So again, there's no shame in this place. This is an opportunity. I believe this is God getting people's attention to say, hey, let's make sure we have our house in order. Let's make sure that we have savings set aside for emergencies. We don't know how things are going to play out in the days to come, even locally in Iowa. I remember a conversation we had with our general superintendent of the Sons of God, Dr. Doug Clay, uh, and he was having a conversation with pastors here in Iowa. And he encouraged churches to begin to set aside extra money for savings because he felt like the economic contractions for the Midwest weren't probably going to come till later this fall, till October or November. So his encouragement was to, for us to begin to set aside, for us to squeeze our belts all the tighter and to uh, put aside extra money for savings. And we had already been operating our budget at 80% of our projected income, but all the more our trustee team had been trying to pinch pennies and figure out how we can put aside extra money for savings. We need to be doing that as the people of God. We need to not be caught off guard by uncertainties and emergencies. They're gonna come. Like your water heater's gonna break down, your furnace is gonna break down, you're gonna get a flat tire. And the pain of those emergencies are all the less when we have emergency reserves. So you may be here in the house and you're like, well, Drew, I'm already in the midst of an emergency. I'm already feeling the pinch. I don't have excess in my income. So what, what do I do? I would encourage you to do whatever you can do to set aside either $500 or $1,000 for, for a small starter emergency fund. 
I think that does two things, like literally stop everything else, anything you can to put food on the table and keep a shelter over your head and set aside that either $500 or 1000 for emergency funds. It, it stops the bleeding of minor emergencies. It won't take care of big emergencies, but it'll also be a quick win for you. It'll begin to, there'll be a boost of confidence inserted into your heart that says, oh, okay, I can do this. Like, hey, God has entrusted me with this and I can do it. I, I, I really can. There's a grace that's imparted to us when we take small steps to begin moving forward uh, in stewarding what God has given us. It's so funny, you know, when we're, when we're not practicing this principle, it feels like emergencies happen disproportionately to us. We're like, man, I just can't catch a break. Everything bad is happening to me all the time and all at the same time. But the reality is they're not happening to you disproportionately. It's just the pain of those emergencies are felt all the more because you don't have those, those uh, reserves built up. So I'd encourage you, stop whatever you can and set, just get crazy intense about setting aside $500 or $1,000 for an emergency fund. From there, then you can be, begin to build it up. Three to six months of emergency reserves, whatever you feel like is before the Lord is a right amount for you. I remember my dad uh, sharing this bit of wisdom with me early in my days of figuring out how to manage money. And he said, Drew, there's no such thing as a normal month in a household. You know, as you're planning out your, your budget for a month, you have to do it every single month because every month is unique. And it can get frustrating managing your money because you feel like there's always an emergency, there's always a birthday, there's always a trip, there's always something, some crisis, but that's life. And so we need to stop making excuses for it and just realize that every month is unique. That is the essence of life. And every month is gonna have uncertainties and emergencies and crises. And so when we, we live a life that's the Joseph principle, we anticipate these things that are coming, we'll be a lot less uh, unsettled and thrown to and fro by, by them when they come our way. I think I've, I've, I've hit that well enough. Practice the Joseph principle. Third is this, don't be enslaved by debt. That may seem like an overstatement you're being enslaved. Am I really a slave to debt if I, if I give in to using my credit card all the time or payday loans or a car loan? Well, those aren't my words. Those are God's words. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is slave of the lender. There's a yoke around our neck that's put that's put upon us in this obligation to this other party when we, we give in to this temptation. And right now there's a cultural tide. I mean, it's been this way for the last 50 years of debt being normal. We live in a society that encourages being enslaved by debt. The average household in the U.S. owes $47,000 in student loans, close to $28,000 in car loans, and $6,000 in revolving credit card debts. So that's just like, that's the lay of the land. That is just what's normal in the United States of America. So again, there's no shame. This is an opportunity for us. This is like, this is a, a call to action from God, from God's word, from the wisdom of God's word for us to do better, for us to begin to choose the way of wisdom more and more often. The thing that cuts right through it is when Solomon says that the borrower is slave to the lender. Hopefully that kind of increases your urgency to get out from, from that master to begin to experience the freedom of not being uh, enslaved to these obligations. And so rather than tackling everything that's uh, encompassed in the world of debt, home mortgages and student loans, I'm gonna tackle the low-lying fruit, which is payday loans, credit card debt, and um, one more, car loans. Uh, that's not like the low-lying fruit. Like we all as kingdom people, I feel like can take care of eliminating that sort of debt from our life. 
That may seem like a, a, an overstatement, but I would just encourage you to consider this stuff before the Lord. Um, those things, payday loans, credit cards, and auto loans become a yoke around your neck. They, they enslave you to obligations of which the terms exceed the value of the items. That most of them are, are, are expendable, quickly depreciating items, and so they should be eliminated from our lives. You know, cars, on average, depreciate by 15% every single year. The first year, the car depreciates by 25%. Here's a sad stat. 33% of new cars are sold underwater already, upside down, meaning that the payoff balances are greater than the value of the car itself. That should be, a, that should be like a, that should stop us in our tracks from ever walking to the, the, the car lot and wanting to purchase a new vehicle. Don't buy new. And don't take out a car loan. There's nothing wrong with driving a nice car. I'm not telling you you need to get a horse and buggy, you need to drive a bike or ride a bike. I'm not saying that. You can buy a nice car, you know, one that's little maintenance, but do it with cash, plan, and don't buy new. It's not gonna be a hill I die on. I'm not gonna say that it says that in Proverbs chapter 22, but I would say it is, it's, it's enslaving you to something of which the, the terms of that agreement outlive the, the value of that item. So home mortgages are different. Even student loans, in some ways, you know, that's a whole different topic, but it could be considered to have a certain value that outlives the, the terms of the loan. But um, say no to payday loans, credit cards, and uh, auto loans. It's been shown by MIT researchers that we feel the pain of purchase much more when we pay with cash versus credit card. They did, they did this study with two groups of people, ones that paid with credit card, ones that paid with cash. Ones that paid with credit card spent, ended up spending twice as much as those that paid with cash because there's this kind of delayed sense of pain at the cost of items when we pay with credit card. It's not until you look at the balance, you're like, how did I spend all that money? You know, but when you're paying with cash, like you're, you're feeling the cost of those items. And so save, plan, shop around, find deals, and pay with cash. It may seem too adamant, too strong, but I just want to encourage you. Uh, humble yourself before the Lord. Consider that. Let's eliminate that enslavement to debt. Fourth principle is steward what we have been given. Look at this proverb, chap- chapter 27, verse 23. It says, know well the condition of your flocks. And give attention to your herds. For riches do not last forever. And does a crown endure for all generations? When the grass is gone and a new growth appears and the vegetation of the mountains is gathered, the lambs will provide your clothing and the goats the price of a field. There'll be enough goat's milk for your food, for the food of your household and the maintenance for your girls. Steward what you've been given. There's this principle, this principle, Proverbs chapter 27, and it's, it's uh, repeated throughout the Bible, this principle of stewardship. And the definition of stewardship literally is the careful and responsible management of something entrusted to one's care. And so for many, many of us, there is a renewal of our mind that's needed in our finances to understand that the money that we have is not ours in the first place. It's God that gave it to us. He's entrusted it to us. And so we should know well the condition of our flocks. Probably don't have a whole lot of sheep herders in the house, but... We should know well the condition of our things because those are the things that God has entrusted to us to take care of us over a lifetime. And things come and go, things fluctuate, there's recessions that go on, there's 
roller coasters economically, that, that, but God has entrusted us with enough and he's our provider. And as we steward what he's given us, those things will sustain us through the ups and downs. So I believe that much of money is not so much what we have been given, but rather what we've done with what we've been given. One of the greatest temptations found within money is the temptation to compare what we have with what other people have, am I right? And all the more in the social media age, we look at what other people drive, what other people, the houses they live in, they built a new house, a custom house, or they went on these vacations. And then it's, it's, there's this illusion because you mix all these stories together and it seems like it's actually one person, but it's all these stories and you begin to feel like you're just living this miserable life of missing out on everything and living a life in poverty. And soon before we know it, all gratitude and sense of, of stewardship of what God has given us has been ripped from our life. I believe that at the heart of stewardship is gratitude. You and I, we've been given much. You should say that often. We have been given much. You know, we live in the most prosperous most equitable, most tolerant nation to ever be on the planet in human history. I mean, we live in just a, an unprecedented time in terms of prosperity. We have been given much. You know, the, the overwhelming talk um, all over the, the media airwaves is, is the impact of COVID on the United States. And that's what we think of. The impact on Iowa, on our country, but I want to give us some perspective because the impact of COVID on our country pales in comparison to the impact that it's having across the globe. I was talking to a friend that's a missionary to Ethiopia and he was telling me about the, about the disproportionate impact of COVID on developing countries because, you know, anything that happens here is reverberated across, across the globe in, uh, in magnified ways, in multiplied ways. The UN stated that 75% of people in developing nations don't have access to adequate soap and water, which I don't know about you, but during a pandemic, that's like the most basic line of defense. So here we're all fighting about all these silly precautions and 75% of people in developing countries don't even have adequate soap and water. We've been given much. 44 of Africa's 54 nations are still on border lockdown, which means for many of the basic like agriculture and, and merchants and traders in those countries, like they've gone from, from some income, probably not even adequate income, to zero in light of what's happening with this pandemic. And this is in a continent of where one-third of the population lives below the poverty line. In 2019, the UN estimated that 149 million people experienced crisis-level hunger. In 2020, because of the pandemic, they're estimating that that number will almost double to 270 million. So we can, we can sit here and we can feel bad for ourselves and we can, we can kind of have this egocentric thinking or we're all tearing each other down and so divided as a nation, complaining about oppression and, and fighting each other, biting each other's heads off. But instead we could, as the church, I think we should zoom out and look across the globe and realize how much we've been given. We have been blessed with much. So we need to steward what we have. We need, we need to dig deep in this in, during this crisis and allow our dollar to go even further. Allow it to, to do more, to accomplish more, to be even more wise with our money in this age. Fifth is this, practice generosity. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come forward. But that last, or the last verse that we read in Proverbs chapter 22 
Solomon says, whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed for he shares his bread with the poor. Whoever has a bountiful eye, I love that description of generosity. It's like you have a vision for prosperity over people's lives. You have this, this eye of abundance that says, I, I can be a positive impact on this person. I can bring this person um, a reflection of God's generosity. And it's from that, that vision of, of bountifulness or of generosity that you're blessed. Blessed literally means happy. You will be happy when you live a life of generosity. And at the most basic level, generosity is a reflection of an encounter with God's generosity. So first and foremost, that's why I say seek first the kingdom of God. As you press into following King Jesus, you'll realize how generous he is with us. And from our lives, then we begin to live a life of generosity. God's the most generous being in the universe. We give because God gave. We're generous because God's generous. It's fun to be generous. And we are called to be generous, even in a time of need, even in the midst of a crisis, even in the midst of a pandemic. I was so encouraged to hear last week, you know, I was up in Minnesota camping, but we, we hosted a church planner to Cedar Falls. They're planning Scent Church in Cedar Falls, uh, Daniel and Emily Quimby. And we were able to give them over $5,000 as an offering in the midst of a pandemic. I say, I love their sacrificial sense of obedience in the midst of a pandemic to continue to move forward with that. But then for you all as a church, for us as a church to say, we're gonna get behind them. Like, hey, I know we need to also save during this time, but we're also gonna give, like we're gonna be generous. At the beginning of the month, we gave over $4,000 to Shelby Chizik as, as she's launched into the mission field in the Netherlands. Except that's the way of the kingdom. Even in a time of lack or in a season of need, we still give, we still live a life of generosity. I remember when I was start, starting out in ministry, or as my first year as pastor uh, at LifePoint, so 2017 is my first Christmas, and I had the idea in my naivety to say, we're gonna do a, a Feed One campaign during Christmas. This, this is like, it's the season of perpetual joy and generosity and giving, and so we're gonna feed kids in, in developing countries. But I remember a pastor critiquing me for it and saying, uh, Drew, I, I wouldn't encourage you to do a giving campaign during Christmas. Christmas is the time when lots of people have a lot of extra expenses and, and a lot of obligations. And so I wouldn't do that. I don't think that's smart. But we moved forward with it. It was one of the biggest offerings we've ever given at our church. Um, because honestly, there's this conviction in my heart that we're supposed to be different than the world. <laughs> and, and we're supposed to sacrifice. Like We're supposed to not just follow the tide of, of, of materialism and consumerism. But, but Christmas should, should be the season of generosity. It should be the season we, we dig deep and we think about others because that's what it's all about. It's about the, the generosity of heaven, giving God's very best. If you'd all stand to your feet, I want us to respond to the Lord. You can live a life that's not prone to the roller coaster of the economic whims around us. You can live a recession-proof life and it starts with seeking first the kingdom of God these other principles, practicing the Joseph principle, which is saving, not being enslaved by debt, stewarding what we've been given, practicing generosity, all those things that are pillars on that foundation of seeking first the kingdom of God. And you'll be on a sure foundation. You'll be, you won't be thrown to and fro. You won't be on that roller coaster ride. So I want us to respond to the Lord. I know we're all in different places, different seasons, different economic means different uh, 
income levels, but we all have a responsibility to respond to the Lord this morning. So I want us to take time to do that. I want us to steward what he's given us from his word. So if you don't close your, close your eyes, bow your heads in this place. Why don't you take time right now just to take inventory of your handling of finances as of late. Maybe the Lord's dealing with you in a specific way. Maybe your priorities have been out of whack and you need to articulate to God in a fresh way that you're gonna seek first the kingdom of God and trust that all these other things will be added unto you. Maybe you need to begin to save because you don't have adequate emergency savings. Maybe you've, been, you've given in to that, the, the cultural norm of debt too much. Maybe you need to be more thankful and steward what he's given you a little bit more. Or maybe you need to begin to live a life of generosity. Whatever it is, I just want you to take a moment right now to respond to God. He's dealing with hearts. He wants to speak to you. So you can begin to choose the way of wisdom. highlighting things right now. You're speaking to hearts. There's a spirit of humility in the room right now. It says, King Jesus, have your way. So God, give us a grace to follow through. Give us a grace to begin to choose the way of wisdom more often. I pray for those in the house that need to begin to seek first the kingdom of God. They need to get first things first. Just pray for a grace, for a fresh encounter with King Jesus, that it'd be real. It wouldn't be seeking a religion or seeking a church building. It'd be seeking King Jesus as a person. Everything else is so much simpler then. We just surrender ourselves to King Jesus, put him in his rightful place, the throne of our hearts. So I just pray that upon every single person in this place. From there, Lord, I pray for those that need to begin to save, that you give them a resolve and a grace and a creativity to be able to save. Those that need to eliminate debt, I pray that our church, Lord, would just be a house that's free of, of stupid debt, of payday loans and credit cards and car loans. Lord, those, those should be just easy, low-lying fruit. And I just pray that you would help us eliminate that from our lives, be free from those things. We no longer be enslaved by it. Give us the grace to be thankful and to be stewards of what you've given us. Give us grace to be, to live a life of generosity. Not as an obligation or as a task, but as a, a way of life. I pray that upon our church. Lastly, if you're in the house this morning and you need to surrender your life to Jesus, I wanna give you an opportunity to do that. You want to start a relationship with God, or maybe you've had a relationship with him in the past, but this morning you need to make things right. I want to give you an opportunity to respond to him. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, not because I'm going to call you out or embarrass you. I just want to know who I'm praying for. But if you're here this morning and that's you, yeah, you want to start a relationship with God, just raise your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Several hands in this place. Is there anybody else? So if you raise your hand, or honestly, even if you didn't, this is a matter between you and a holy God. There's only one mediator between God and man. It's Jesus Christ himself. So from your own heart, you can pray this prayer. Even if later today or tonight when you lay your head on your pillow, you can pray this prayer of surrender to him. 
Lord, today I come to the end of myself. I realize that there's no hope in anything else, in anyone else other than you. You are my hope. You're the only answer. So this morning, I look to you. Today, I look to you as Savior, as Lord, as Master, as King. Today, Lord, I thank you for new life. I thank you for a new start. I thank you that today, because of what you've done for me, that Holy Spirit can come and live inside of me, that I can start a relationship with a holy God. No more condemnation, no more baggage, no more shame. But I can live a life with you. From this day forward, no turning back. In your mighty name, Jesus, amen. Can we give those that prayed that prayer a huge hand? This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at livethemessage.org.